Hello, I'm Corolla, and I'm bringing the Bible reading to us today. Um, The words will be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible with you, so please feel free to follow along. We're reading today from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. We'll um, make a move and get going again. Uh, I'm going to be looking at that passage from 1 Peter chapter 5 that was read just a little earlier and my focus is uh, particularly going to be on Luke who is singing in front of me and uh, but but let me say with a wider scope and thinking about the whole congregation uh, here because we're all involved as I say in partnership so that's that's where we're heading uh, having some access to 1 Peter on your phone or if you put a Bible along, I'm old-fashioned, I have a paper one, you know, but uh, uh, if you can get access to those, uh, uh, that part of God's Word, that will be enormously helpful. Let me pray. Let's get into it. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you speak to us very clearly. You speak to us uh, and speak to leaders of our church about how they should be involved in leading your people. Uh, Father, we pray that this this word will be a word that Luke hears and takes on board to his heart, but actually for us as a whole congregation, as we partner with him, but also as we serve and we lead among your people in a whole variety of ways. So, Father, go before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off by asking you a question. The question is, this is if you're a believer, can you imagine a situation where you might be tempted uh, to give up following the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine circumstances that could put you in that sort of spot 
where you would seriously think about it. Now, over the years, I've had uh, lots of different friends who, for a variety of reasons, have stepped back uh, in their expression of trust in Jesus. I remember I had a mate at university. He became, you know, professed faith in Christ. And then within a couple of weeks, he'd just gone cold, moved away. And as I talked to him, it seemed that he'd gone home, told his parents what had happened, and particularly his father was just scathing of his decision to put his trust in Christ. And the loss of that relationship with his father caused him just to step away. And, uh, and that was a, it was a heartache to me to see that happening. I remember another guy that I worked actually closely with over a number of years, uh, he just seemed so keen in his following of Jesus. And yet, when his father died, uh, he renounced his faith in Christ. And the reason for that was because his father wasn't a believer and he was wrestling with the reality that if if his father didn't put his trust in Jesus, he was lost for all eternity. And he just couldn't couldn't get his head around that. Or maybe for you it would be uh, if the trend in our population continues where there's ongoing ratcheting up of opposition because you're a follower of Jesus. Some of you will have been looking at the conversion uh, therapy bill legislation that's been passed in Victoria and the government there have just announced that they're going to be sending out information to churches to tell them what they can and can't preach on from the Bible in this area so that they'll be properly educated and uh, know exactly what they should be doing. Now, 10 years ago, none of us could have thought that anything like that might possibly happen for the suppression of the speaking of the truth from God's word. But that's just one little um, edge issue, uh, that is we'll all be under pressure in different ways to step back, you know, not necessarily to renounce our faith in Jesus, just never go public with it and <laughs> never actually give voice to it or expression to it in different ways because, of course, we don't want to get anyone offside, do we, in any way. Can you think of situations that might cause you to step away? Other people I've known have, it's just been, you know, like when I came through university, I converted, we're all keen. But some of those have just got caught up in uh, life, you know, career or family or other things, and it just sort of has taken over, you know, and eroded, eroded their convictions about following the Lord Jesus Christ. Pressure. This letter of 1 Peter, it's written to Christians who were under pressure. Now, that pressure came from without, right, as also from within. So back in chapter 2, verse 11, Peter writes and he says, I urge you, uh, fellow believers, as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. But there's pressure from without that he talks about throughout this letter too. Chapter 4, verse 12, don't be surprised at the painful trial that you're suffering. This letter, its aim is to help Christians stand firm in the face of pressure. So chapter 5, verse 12, that Corolla read for us just a moment ago, Peter says, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Listen to what follows. Stand fast in it. 
This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. And here in 1 Peter chapter 5, the focus is on leadership of the church. You pick that up in verse 1. Peter says, To the elders among you, I speak to you as a fellow elder. Friends, what sort of leaders do we need in tough times? Uh, Luke in particular, what sort of pastor does he need to be as he cares for the flock of God's people here at Golden Grove? Well, here's the key thing, Luke, but it's the key thing for all of us. Right? We need to stand firm in God's grace. Chapter 5, verse 12, this is the true grace of God, stand fast in it. The true grace of God, stand fast in it. Leadership is a huge topic in the Western world. I googled up the popular books that are still circulating on leadership and they're always hitting the bestseller list. Uh, Books like Good to Great or this one, Leaders Eat Last, Uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, Uh, Lean In, not sure what Lean In is all about, but it's popular, Uh, Dare to Lead, Uh, or this one caught my attention too, Surrounded by Idiots. Uh, There we go. But it's the same in the Christian world. There's a huge focus on on books. The Christian bookstores have shelves after shelf after shelf of books on leadership. You know, to bring out the inner leader within you. So the titles are Visionary, or Leading on Empty, or Lead Like Jesus. Now, apparently that was very popular because the second edition came out, Lead Like Jesus, Revisited. Right? So, uh, and then you've got things like 12 Golden Rules of Leadership, 7 Effective Habits, and 21 Irrefutable Laws. Right? Everyone's got books on leadership and what leadership is all about. Now, don't, don't hear me, um, I am mocking slightly, I, I, I am, but uh, don't hear me writing off the wisdom that comes with learning about leadership. There are lots of wise things we can pick up. But, you know, despite this trend of raising up the area of leadership so we're better able to lead, Over the last 20 years, I feel like I've just been hit by crisis after crisis after scandal after scandal when it comes to Christian leadership. It doesn't, these books don't seem to have helped us. Scandals, whether they be of a sexual or financial nature, uh, reports of abuse by leaders, leaders going through burnout, discouragement, Christian leaders who have fights with one another and uh, bust up and can't work with each other. Can I say that the key to Christian leadership is the same as for the Christian life. It is standing fast in the grace of God. Christian leadership starts and finishes with the grace of God. Let me remind you what Peter says back in Chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Now today, 
we're um, commissioning, we have commissioned Luke and, and the whole congregation. But can I just say, Luke is not the focus of our attention. He must never be. No leader must be the focus of our attention. Friends, the focus of our attention is on the grace of God to Luke and Natasha and to us all. Because the key to Christian leadership, whether it's a pastor of a church or someone who teaches Sunday school or youth group leadership or a Bible study group leader or a leadership team member, here's the key. It's to remind yourself and those you lead of the amazing generosity and kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ towards us. Christian leadership is all about God, not about us. That's the first thing. And what we see as we go through this, uh, this first section of 1 Peter chapter 5, is that God's grace enables Christian leaders and all of us to be humble. And this is obviously critical for leadership. So verses 5 and 6, you work out that this is because of the way I'm wired. I'm working back through the passage. Probably I should work forwards, but I'm going from verse 12 back to verses 1 to 4. Okay, So we're now at verses 5 and 6, talking about humility. All of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. For, quoting from uh, Proverbs, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Now can I say, it is really easy to confuse humility with personality and we do it, I think, all the time. You know, we tend to think of the quiet, shy, self-effacing, never to get into conflict, wouldn't say boo to a goose, always go through door second type people as being the humble people. Right? Uh, but they could just be being selfish or trying to avoid conflict or, you know, it's not necessarily humility. It can be motivated by other things. Whereas we tend to think of those who are extroverts and uh, outgoing, give anything a shot, it's not humble. People who tend to, you know, be sort of self-promoting because they're loud. But can I say that's, that isn't the way the Bible looks at humility? Listen again, verse 6. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Or verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, humility is first of all an attitude towards God. That's where, it's, that's where it starts. Remember, this letter is written to people under pressure for their faith, tempted to throw in the towel. Now, when you're under pressure, when you're tempted to throw in the towel, I reckon there are two things that you're tempted to think. You're tempted to think that God is not in control, verse 6, that he has a mighty hand, or you're tempted to think that he doesn't care. That's what you're tempted to think, I reckon. So what do we want in Christian leadership? Uh, inspiring, charismatic, humorous visionaries who are great managers and terrific delegators and a capacity to cast that sense of where our church is going into the future. But they're not bad qualities. You know, they're not bad things to have. Although there is a danger always with gifted pastors that uh, you'll tend to worship them rather than God. 
or they'll tend to think more of their abilities than they should. But friends, the, the true mark of Christian leadership is that when they're under pressure, when they're suffering for Christ, when we're suffering for Christ and under pressure, they will point us to God who has the whole world in his hand, he rules and he cares for us. Good leaders, good Christian leaders will always do that. And this humility, it'll work itself out towards one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. You pick it up in verse 5. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. So how do humble leaders, how do they exercise their leadership? And that's where we get back to verses 1 to 4. The picture is of the humble shepherd leader. Now, I think this is a really interesting image for Peter the Apostle to use, you know, the, the shepherd leader, given that he was a professional fisherman, you know, it's not his, not his occupation. If you went back to John chapter 21, it's after Jesus' death and resurrection, and Peter and his mates, uh, the professional fishing crowd, are out on the Sea of Tiberias for a whole night fishing, right? Some guy turns up on the shore and says, have you caught anything? No, they say, out for the whole, bit embarrassing really, professional fishermen haven't caught a thing, right? And he says, gives them the, really the key to catching fish, throw your net out the other side. <laughs> so these guys must have thought, ah, oh, you know, and of course they hadn't, Jesus is a way away, they haven't quite worked out who it is, I don't think, at this stage. But they do it and they take in this huge catch of fish almost immediately and uh, Peter sort of scrambles to shore and they drag the fish ashore. And then they catch up with Jesus. Right? So how many of you are fisher people? Right? Hardly any. I'm not either, right? But here's the story I hear of those who are keen fishing people, right? You take in a huge catch of fish like this, what do you want to have a conversation about? The huge catch of fish and the biggest fish and, you know, like that's the conversation, right? Peter gets ashore, has a chat with Jesus and what do they chat about? Shepherding sheep. Isn't that interesting? Not fish, even though that's the thing that's dominated what's just happened. Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs, John 21 verse 15. Verse 16, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, feed my sheep. And now here in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 2, this is what he says, speaking to elders, pastors, leaders, be shepherds of God's flock. Peter's just hearing the words of the Lord Jesus, his instructions to him about what he should be doing. But, you know, I reckon this image isn't necessarily a terrific one for 21st century Australians. I've got a mate who um, lives up at Oruru on a sheep farm, right? And when I've seen him interacting with his sheep, it's not a pretty sight. He, he sees his sheep as being just dumb animals, right? And if they don't do what he says, he gets the dogs out after them. They yap around the heels, you know? And, uh, and when the sheep get old and they're a bit useless, you know what he does? He shoots them, right? I'm not sure this shepherding image is exactly the 21st century relatable sort of thing that we want Luke to pick up on. But of course the image is drawn from the 1st century and the Old Testament where shepherding was smaller. The sheep were incredibly valuable and the shepherd actually did have to give his life for his sheep to protect them 
from the wolves. Peter goes on. He says, humble leaders, I'll care for God's sheep. Verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care. Now, literally, care, the word here for care is bishoping. So if you're thinking about a gift you could give Luke today, it'd be a purple shirt, you know, so he could... uh, so Luke could be a bishop, but you know, if you're a Sunday school teacher or a Bible study group, like, go out and buy yourself a purple shirt, right? Congratulations, you're a bishop. That's what this passage is saying. But notice here, whose sheep you care for if you're a leader. Verse 2. It is God's flock. God's flock. If you serve in ministry, it's not because Luke or a leadership team member asked you to do it. Not first of all. It's because this is a task that is delegated from God himself. And you know, God's flock, his people, they're precious to him. Let me take you back again to 1, 1 Peter 1 verse 18. You know that it wasn't with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed but with the precious blood of Christ. Uh, The sheep of God are purchased with the blood of God's own Son. They're very precious. There's a guy I work with called uh, Ben. Ben's dad uh, has been a pastor for decades. He's just retired, actually, these last couple of weeks. Ben talked about growing up in a pastor's family. And yeah, he said to me, I cannot ever remember my mother or my father saying anything against any member of our congregation. Never. And you know, I heard that and I thought that's exactly what it should be. These these sheep, these people of God, they are precious to God. And therefore, my brother, they, they must be precious to you. But friends, the sheep around you, they are precious to God. Right? Treat, treat that trust very seriously. And notice how Peter talks about the way we're to, we're to serve the sheep. He provides three contrasts in verses 2 to 3 between leaders who serve themselves or leaders who serve other people. They're three sort of not-but statements. Verse 2, not because you must, but because you're willing Friends, serving is a privilege. Uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, still, this will never be a church where you get manipulated or coerced or bribed into doing ministry. Right? We don't do it that way. Right? Not because you must, but because you are willing because of your understanding of the grace of God towards you in Christ. It's easy to manipulate though <laughs> when you have shortages in uh, groups or in leadership. You can imagine, you know, we've got shortage of Sunday school teachers and we put out the notices, made the announcements, put in the leaflet, still short three three teachers, right? So we, we pull out all the stops and eventually Luke pulls out his big gun, right, and interviews the six-year-old who's going to be out without a Sunday school teacher, right? Out the front, one Sunday morning, everyone's watching, you know, and uh, Luke says, so Mary, you don't have a Sunday school teacher this year. No! And uh, Mary, is it true that six-year-old girls who don't have Sunday school teachers are four times more likely to go into prostitution when they leave high school? Is that right? Yeah, 
this, you know, like it's very, it is very, you know, Johnny, you know, you don't have a Sunday school teacher. Is it, is it true that three times more likely you'll go on hard drugs, you know? Yes, you know, like it's really easy just to manipulate and pressure people. And if you do that, of course, you know, Daryl, who's in the third row, he doesn't, doesn't really like children, right? Says, oh, you know, I can't take it, I'll do it, you know, and just sort of falls over, right? We're not going to be a church like that, are we? No. No, we're not. Right. We, we respond to the grace of God in Christ, willing to serve, not because you must, but because you're willing. I remember talking in another one of the Trinity churches to a guy who taught Sunday school. He was a paediatric specialist. That was his day job. And uh, he taught Sunday school every Sunday. And remember one Sunday I caught up with him. I said, thanks so much. You're just here every Sunday, you know, teaching kids. And uh, it's ter- he said, don't get me wrong. I've got a, an important job I do during the week caring for little kids. But this, what I do on Sundays, this is the most important thing I do in my week. And it's not because you must, but because you are willing. Willing. Not for greed, for money, but eager to serve. Um, I work uh, with lots of people in vocational ministry who I suspect could have made more money doing something else. And that's, that's an impressive thing. Let me tell you what's more impressive. That people serve in ministry for no payment at all. That's you. <laughs> and not only that, you pay so others can serve in ministry and you still serve in ministry. Right? Not for gain, for money, eager to serve. Well, the third not but, verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 20 years ago, I used to regularly hear of pastors who had to step down from ministry because of sexual immorality. Uh, Just a terrible situation. But you know, today, I more often hear about church leaders stepping down because they have abused their power in relation to their congregational members and pressured them or manipulated them, sought to control them. Christian leadership is not about having power and authority over others. Christian leaders are not CEOs or company directors or bosses of businesses. Christian leadership is not becoming a mini-god for the applause of the sheep. That is not the task of Christian ministry. It is leading, as we read here, by example. Faithfully serving, teaching, uh, modelling the grace of God in your life. That's what leadership is about. And uh, I, I say this to myself, I say it to Luke, I say it to all our pastors, I say it to anyone who aspires to be in leadership in this congregation. That is the task, the desire to serve and be an example. And let me just conclude by talking about verse 4 um, and having that long-term perspective. I wear glasses because I'm short-sighted, right? I see up close, take off my glasses, it gets all blurry. In fact, it's improved substantially by doing that. No, I don't mean that at all. Um, 
But I'm tempted to do the same thing, I think, when it comes to spiritual matters. In our culture and society, we live for the immediate, for today. Uh, We don't tend to think very far into the future. But, friends, as followers of the Lord Jesus, especially leaders, we are called to serve with a clear future of how, a clear picture of how the future will unfold. That's what we're called to do. Verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. When will the chief shepherd, when will Jesus appear? Tomorrow? 200 years? None of us know, actually. But we're to keep remembering that there is a line in the sand that God has indicated and from that line in the sand everything else will be measured. That line in the sand in history is when Jesus returns to this world. And friends, we are not to forget that that is the reality that is the benchmark for our existence. And friends, Luke... (laughs) Your job, my brother in Christ, is to prepare God's people for that day. Do not forget that that is the day when you will present people to the Lord Jesus Christ and they will come before him and you want to do a faithful job of building and growing God's people with that day in mind caring for the sheep that God has entrusted to your provisional care. Friends, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ was one who gave his life willingly as a sacrifice for many. And Father, we thank you that he is that grace that we see from your hand is the one that shapes all our thinking and heart and life, but also when it comes to leadership. Father, we've already prayed for Luke. We pray that you will uh, continue to grow in him uh, as a shepherd who cares for God's people, not for his own purposes, but for your glory and honour, for their good. Father, we pray that all of us who serve in leadership uh, will keep this in mind. We will all have that longing to serve you and to honour your name and to present your people mature, standing firm on the last day. Father, it helps to keep these things in mind, keep sifting our hearts and our motivations so that we serve with that sort of heart and do so for your glory and honour. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.